Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're getting greasy with Connor Meekin from Bluebird Provisions Bone Broth, diving deep on the SEO strategy he's used to scale to over 50,000 monthly unique visitors over the past couple years. This episode contains Connor's complete SEO playbook, including his skyscraper strategy, as well as several other high-value, if slightly greasy, tactics for increasing page rank, backlinks, and domain authority that not a lot of people know about and even fewer are using. And we know that in today's traffic environment, a healthy base of organic visitors is essential. So make sure you listen to this one to the end to catch every knowledge bomb. I hope you enjoy it. On with the show. I have Google Alerts for bone broth set up, and you can do this for your industry. And anytime an alert comes from a tier one media website, I will click it. And usually in our space, they're quoting a registered dietitian or a nutritionist, and they're just looking for a quote and maybe a product recommendation. So I said, hey, for a quarter, I'm going to reach out to every single dietitian or nutritionist that gets quoted in these articles as the expert and say, hey, I noticed you got quoted in this article. That's great. I'd love to tell you about what we're doing and send you some product, no strings attached. And I was able to make friends with them. And before you knew it, we got featured in like a Huffington Post buyer's guide as the number one item on there. So it was pretty crazy. Imperfect Foods, Instacart, Nespresso, and Coach all use Coley to generate TikTok videos that are on brand, on budget, and on time. As one of TikTok's first creative partners, Coley has the track record, know-how, and tools to help you TikTok your way to short-form glory. And now you can tap into that exclusive expertise with Coley's TikTok Creative Brief template. It has all the steps you need for successful creator collaborations and best practices to create fun and engaging TikToks. Head to coley.com TikTok to download your free copy and start creating TikToks for your brand that people actually want to watch. That's C-O-H-L-E-Y dot com slash TikTok. Hey, Connor. Welcome to the D2C podcast. Can you start by telling me why you built Bluebird Provisions? Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. So I built Bluebird Provisions because I was looking for a high-protein, high-quality bone broth that could help heal uh, a devastating foot injury I had um, years ago when I was running and on the market, there was nothing that was meeting my standards. So I went to work and tried to create, uh, the product that I was looking for. Okay. Talk about those early days. Cause like I have made bone broth before at home in a, a small operation. How did you get into it? Did you dive right into sort of industrial broth making? Yeah. The early days were really a shit show as a lot of other food, uh, you know, CPG startup founders can attest. We did the thing where we rented a commercial kitchen, hired people off Craigslist, you know, one person would quit every week and I'd be hiring another person. Kind of that whole game uh, at the time when I was, you know, hitting the pavement, trying to get it into grocery stores, because this was a, a couple of years ago when, when, D2C wasn't, the, you know, the, the, the shipping wasn't quite set up to ship frozen food products, which is what we were at the time. We're, we're not anymore. I'm sure we'll get into that. But so, yeah, we're, we're, you know, working on retail, trying to figure out how to make this bone broth at scale because there wasn't a lot of precedent for that at the time. And all while trying to keep the lights on, trying to bring some sales in, but also trying to find a co-packer and a, you know, a contract manufacturer that can kind of make this properly with the right equipment because we certainly 
while we had the quality right, it was difficult to scale when you're you're doing it yourself because we were using old like home brewery equipment, like these massive pots that were like they were like hundred liter capacity, but they were for like home brewers, and we kind of retrofitted it with a lot of duct tape and elbow grease. Scrappy, loved here. I I can attest to the broth. Uh, you sent me some, and it is fantastic. I'm going to eat some right after this for my lunch, actually. So thanks for that. Uh, let's talk a little bit, like, what were the early days like? So when you're trying to get, you know, after you've got the the product kind of solved, what were your early marketing efforts? Like, where did you focus in the early days? Early days, we did some PR. So due to my previous career for software startups and SaaS companies, I knew a few people in the community around Vancouver, Canada, where I'm based, and I was able to get some local media outlets to feature us. And some of these coincided really right when we launched. So pretty lucky with the timing, you know, one local publication that is kind of like a famous local online blog decided to Which one's that? do a feature on us. Uh, it's called Vancouver is Awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure you know people from around here know it. Uh, the guy Bob is, is uh, yeah, I'm super grateful that he wrote a really nice feature on us. To get, and that really got us going. That got our first, you know, a few customers or first bunch of customers, really. And even still, it um, provides a lot of the uh, the original kind of SEO juice and, and ranking that uh, got us uh, got us where we are now. Cool. Yeah. Like, let's just go right into SEO. This is something that we're kind of tackling at D2C right now. You reached out, I think, when I had had said it either in a podcast or in the newsletter, just, you know, looking for for great SEO stories. And I'm really interested. So you'd say this has been your biggest lever for growth in the past two years, I guess, SEO? Without a doubt. Yeah. So we are using um, some strategies that, yeah, I mean, SEO people know, I think the kind of like greasy affiliate marketers know, but not a lot of, I would say, Shopify merchants and e-commerce brand owners at least until recently, we're even talking about these sorts of things, let alone using them and experimenting with them. So it's kind of like a funny time where, you know, for the last five years, people have said SEO is dead, while people like me have been kind of learning it and chipping away at it and retrofitting it and, and experimenting. And now it's like in vogue now, it's super popular. So yeah, we get most of our sales using organic SEO. We get, at our height, I think we were 70,000 monthly uniques per month. And, um, for, yeah, you know, I mean, we're not, a, we're not a massive, you know, e-commerce company. We got extremely limited resources, you know, it's like me and some freelancers. So, um, I'd say we, we've, we've kind of found a strategy that works and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. It's obviously great to be able to acquire customers cheaply. I love the do-it-yourself attitude. You know, we're using uh, at this time an agency essentially, but it's one of those fields again where you're always innovating. And if you've got your hands on it, you're creating the content. You have a good handle on what you're trying to do. Um, it's going to be hugely beneficial to have it in-house, I imagine. Yeah, no doubt. Especially, yeah, when you're experimenting with a lot of different things. I think when maybe you have a playbook that that works and you really just want to churn out like a lot of content, I think it makes sense to hand it over. And I'll say for my company, Bluebird Provisions, we're yeah, kind of a bit of an awkward in-between stage where I have a playbook that works quite well, obviously good at it, uh, but I'm also the founder and I have a lot of other, you know, things to do <laughs> instead of like marketing. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been somewhat difficult to find reliable writers and content producers that can do the right kind of long form content, but can also do it quickly and also understand SEO. So that's really difficult to find that combination. So you teased it on the interior because I think, you know, there's a playbook for uh, SEO that has evolved throughout the years. 
I've heard different people with different takes on it. I'm very eager to hear what are what are some of these greasy affiliate things that are working well uh, for SEO growth. Yeah, so I would say for the for the last couple of years, a lot of people have talked about building like your skyscraper. Uh, people are I'm sure there's no video here, but uh, people can see my my hand gestures. So skyscraper content, you know, you build you you see the highest skyscraper in the city, you go next to it and build a higher one. So that's the idea with content. You know, you want to make it just a little bit better than the best piece of content for your keyword. That works great, and then and then people kind of realize that hey, we need to um, send more information and um, you know signals to Google that this skyscraper piece of content uh, is actually legitimate. So let's create a content cluster around it where we have a bunch of companion pieces to this skyscraper piece of content that are all linking to the skyscraper. And that is obviously going to send some signals to Google that this is a prioritized piece of content and we should rank it accordingly. Um, so, so that works. You know, we obviously do that. I think um, you don't necessarily need 10 to 20 companion pieces of content per skyscraper. We actually prioritize more skyscrapers without the companion pieces. I those. love I love jargon, but skyscrapers in this case, that just means that it's like a really long, long page, basically. <laughs> yeah, almost like, a, almost like a sales letter or something. So like yeah. a really long article that has like a, a long drawn out intro and background that nobody wants to read. But I, you know, you have the to- The thing get that bloggers complain right- about on Twitter all the time. Yeah, exactly. But you have to get all that, all those keywords and, and yeah. you know, like NLP terms and all that kind of fun stuff to, to send the right signal to Google. So yeah, everyone hates reading it, but it but it gets the job done. And the, the idea there is that you're going to naturally answer every single question that searchers have within this article. And then the supporting articles will link to the skyscraper piece just one time or they'll link throughout and create like a supporting structure throughout. I think you just want to link it one time and... Also, you do not want to link from the skyscraper back to the companion pieces because that's going to send the wrong signal to Google. You don't really want it ranking for those companion pieces. And I'll just note, you know, an example for these companion pieces because people always ask, maybe you have a, a section like an H2 or an H3 section in your skyscraper piece that answers a specific query or question that searchers will ask. Your companion piece, maybe you just take this H2, you make that, uh, you know, a similar title or similar keywords and you expand on that for, you know, whatever, 500 to 800 words. And that gives you one companion piece. You go to your next H2s, H3s, and you build another companion piece out of those. So when it comes to choosing the term or bucket of terms that you go after in your skyscraper, if you're building a skyscraper, you want it to last, stand the test of time. So it should be for you, in your case, it'll be on bone broth. Or do you pick skyscrapers around keywords that are maybe less competitive uh, and more accessible to start? Yeah, that's a good question. We do the latter. We do more, uh, you know, long tail, more specific search terms because, well, we've written a lot about bone broth. We have some decent traffic. We actually still don't have the uh, you know authority to rank on the first page for just bone broth because you know maybe you will, and then some big media publication you know writes an article about it, and then all of a sudden you're getting filtered down. So for us, we do think, for example, you know one one longer tail search term that we do well with is how to make bone broth taste better, or what's the difference between chicken bone broth and beef bone broth. Or bone broth powder. What's that? How does that work? So it's more like bone broth diet. Bo- bone broth diet. Yeah, that's a good one, and we, we do rank really well for that, uh, despite yep. it being you know um, frankly a competitor's kind of spick and and spiel. 
Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this at, so, at some point. Just to dive right into it. I think I brought it up on the podcast a few weeks ago is this thing where I realized that Influencer Marketing Hub, like a competitive uh, you know, publication, has a huge amount of traffic, hundreds of thousands of, of impressions based on the term OnlyFans, which is you know, you're getting people who are into influencer marketing. They might be into OnlyFans. And they're just sort of, that's a perfect overlap in that case. That's not really competition, but it's sort of like grasping onto something really big in the culture and using it to fuel in a way that's still relevant, which is is the key, I guess, right? Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a really crafty example, actually. Uh, you know, I, uh, I think it behooves all of us to kind of find, you know, take a step out and, and find ways that we can not use OnlyFans as a keyword, but like find your equivalent in your industry. And the way we're doing this is, you know, going back to kind of the, the, the quote unquote greasy affiliate stuff that, I, that I've learned about SEO and, and even from like the SaaS playbook is talking about your competitors. So, you know, at the very top level, you can do do buyer's guides. Like for us, it's like, hey, here's the best six bone broths for 2022. Those rank quite well, despite us, you know, not having great authority on those types of things. And actually doing review articles and comparison posts between you and your top competitors. And these typically work well if you're kind of the smaller fish fighting in a bigger pond, because as you mentioned with like the OnlyFans example, you can like get on the first page for your competitors' keywords, even if they're a lot larger brand than you are, because the way Google um, search results work on the first page, if it's a branded search, you know, the first 10 results are not going to be from the same domain. So if it's going to be other, you know, Google likes to have kind of a mix of different things from information articles to product pages on the first page. So why don't you uh, try to slip slip a different domain in there uh, and, and just kind of see what happens? And, and it works really well for us. You mentioned it earlier, but what's your cadence or your velocity sort of like in terms of content on a, say, weekly or monthly basis? Yeah, so so weekly we try to do two to three long form articles per week. So yeah, the, these are frankly skyscraper posts. And, and that's really all we're doing. We're not doing a lot of companion pieces at, at the moment because um, we're finding you don't really need them if you have a really good article. And as you're saying, you can also include those supporting pieces as H2s in a navigatable, you know, page potentially. Yeah, I'm just finding like, hey, let's just really exhaust everything and then you don't need like a companion article. So I, th- I think what's working really well on page for these skyscraper pieces of content is like they call it the the people also ask section of search results. So obviously you have like that kind of accordion that you see in search results now where it's all the common questions people have. So literally just grabbing all those questions, filtering that into your article as um, H2s or H3s in your article, making sure you answer all of them ideally in a unique way that is better than what's the existing answer is and, and formatting it in the right way so that hopefully you get on that um, section of the search results going forward. How do you pick your skyscrapers? Yeah. Uh, what that, tool are you that's using? That's a good question too. Yeah. So we use Ahrefs uh, mainly and we have used Surfer in the past as well. Okay. I'm looking at you on SEM Rush right now for a free plug. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, of course, got to get them in there. So, yeah, I, I, I think with tools, yeah, like it's a good point. There's, there's a lot of them that that work quite well. Um, a lot of them are getting a bit pricey uh, for my liking, I would say. But I'm, I'm always, I'm a bit of a cheapskate. So, um, you can scrape it together with, with, with free stuff if you're just getting started. Like, you know, obviously Google's um, Keyword Planner works great. Google Search Console works great as well. And some of the other you know, free keyword tools are good. So we got started doing that, just just keyword planner, finding related searches. But uh, I think for us right now, I am using Search Console a lot and, and kind of just finding what people are finding us for organically. And if we don't have an article that addresses that directly, we're, we're definitely going to write one with those exact keywords in the title. 
This is my question too. Like, do you have a different cadence on a topic that you are already ranking for well, like a maintenance cadence? Like, do you still have to write on the keywords that you're uh, ranking well for already? Or do you just hope that your pieces will be so thematically similar that they will also support your ranking in these ones that you're holding rank for? That's a good question. And it's messy because we are going through this right now. So I try to update our articles you know, maybe once every six months, kind of just scanning the ranking. Like if you have stuff that's in the top three and it falls out, you really want to address that quickly because once you start falling out of there, your traffic's really going to decline. I think also, you know, if you're falling out of the top 10, obviously you want to address that quickly, but sometimes you don't know exactly what you need to optimize for or what you need to fix. And that becomes a bit of a tricky situation as well. And, and and also, lastly, I'll say that sometimes when you're updating these articles, you know, sometimes you can do more harm than good if you don't know what you're doing. Um, we've, we've, we've run into this, frankly, because, you know, if you have an article that ranks quite well for a certain search term and, you know, the URL slug of the article is that keyword, and then all of a sudden you want to write a different article on, on something and you realize maybe that URL slug is better served for a different article, then you get into this question of like whack-a-mole where it's like, hey, should I change the URL for the first article because I want to prior, you know, I can write a better article that addresses those terms in a different way. So it's it's kind of messy. I, I try to look at anytime you, you have an article that's one and you fall out of that, you want to you want to update something, whether that's maybe just, you know, looking at the people also ask and answering those questions in a better way, maybe formatting a little bit differently. You know, some of the tools like like Surfer kind of helps you find where the keywords need to be in terms of like H1s and H2s and all that kind of fun stuff. So having having a template like that to run them through really helps as well. I just, I'm on your SEO. I'm scoping you out on SEM Rush here. And I see in May, 2021, you had a huge spike, probably to date, maybe your highest at that point. And I'm wondering, was, was that the news hit or was that your first real strong run at SEO? That was the first real strong run at SEO. So we had a big, big spike there. I think we got some... We might have gotten like a press hit, and I think we got a bunch of backlinks kind of right very quickly. So it was this weird, like perfect storm, and all of a sudden I was like, "Everything's working, let's go!" And then, and then, yeah, like things came down because we obviously Bone Broth's a bit of a seasonal business, so the summer is going to be slower in terms of search traffic as well. So yeah, there's definitely been peaks and valleys, and and I think actually after that, Google did like a an algorithm update, so we got. Some of our things were didn't get penalized, but yeah, just the way they you know look at search rankings and that type of thing. Yeah, the fact that we're a lower domain authority website, I think that was the big thing where you know we lost a bit of traffic because of that, despite having you know great articles. Yeah, it sort of ebbed, and then you can just see in December 2021, it just starts picking back up. Then is there like besides seasonality, besides this algorithm change, is there anything that you can point to that you sort of started instituting in December that brought it back up to those May 2021 levels? Yeah, definitely. December, we got some PR, I would say from a, that's really when we started to operationalize the content production. So getting, you know, two articles a month, basically, sorry, two at least a week, at least, and going up from there in terms of our publishing schedule. The other thing I would say is at that point, we were able to start editing a lot of our existing articles and kind of professionalizing the whole operation, making sure that those articles that don't rank, editing those, finding keywords for those. I think kind of all that just started to happen in December, January. Um, and then we've been going back up, back up since then. 
Can you just uh, dig out that last point you mentioned a little bit there? One of the, this is sort of like uh, retroactive. You're going back and reformatting posts that aren't working well to, to fit other needs. Yeah, so, so I've been doing this a lot recently as well because, you know, everyone has that situation. You know, you invest all this time into like a blog post. You're like, oh, this is going to be so good. Then you find out, oh, like it's crickets. It's literally getting no traffic. And sometimes it's hard to figure out why. But now with all the all the modern tools, usually you can figure out why it's not ranking. And if there is a keyword in there or a way to repurpose that article um, for a slightly different keyword and present it in a different way to get it to rank. So for example, an article you know we worked on last week that got traffic years ago. I think it's an article about leaky gut. So this was talked about by a lot of like paleo bloggers years ago. It's called like leaky gut syndrome. And, you know, we had an article a few years ago that ranked okay, then all of a sudden it tanked. So I think, you know, Google caught up and, and you know, more, more publishers had better articles, frankly, about it. So I was trying to figure out what we can do, whether we can, you know, format it for a longer tail search term like leaky, you know, bone broth for leaky gut or something like that. I think that's what we ended up doing. We ended up just finding a longer tail search term instead of going after the massive short, you know, the massive traffic short term like leaky gut. We did a longer tail one that converts better. iOS 14.5, the infamous Apple update left D2C brands struggling to find and market to the right audiences. That's why hundreds of D2C brands are turning to Black Crow AI. Their plug-and-play machine learning technology measures in real time every visitor's likelihood to buy to build predictive audiences for retargeting and prospecting. In short, Black Crow can significantly boost ROAS by helping you specifically target people who will actually want to buy from you. Find out why brands like Magic Spoon, Barabee, and Liquid IV are using Black Crow AI. Visit blackcrow.ai to learn more and request a 30-day free trial. You mentioned the algorithm stuff. Do you? Because my sense was with SEO these days that you're a little bit more more sheltered than you might have been in the past. Maybe that's an illusion because I remember just people getting absolutely decimated by these algorithm updates on the Google side. And you're saying there still is an impact, but my understanding is it's less of an impact as long as you're creating good content. Is that? Would you say that's true? I think you're definitely right. I haven't seen, you know, you know, we saw that little dip there last summer. I would say you don't hear a ton of people talking about it outside of yeah the uh, the affiliate websites that uh, you know still some some of them are still frankly like arbitrage plays that are you know yeah, finding which is finding, amazing that that's still happening I know yeah I feel like we're like 10 years ago but uh, these people are still chipping away at it some of them are doing well and and yeah you know some some of these arbitrage plays get cracked down on eventually and and I'll, I'll say nowadays you're seeing it where there was an interesting bit of news about a month ago where Google said, in a press release regarding, you know, search rankings and algorithm updates that AI written content was going to be penalized and it was not within Google's terms of service. And the whole community like kind of freaked out and they were like, oh my goodness, like what's going to happen? All the AI software companies were probably concerned, but Google actually walked it back last week saying, I think they just realized that they're going to have no way to police it. Um, How are they going to police that? I guess they need a smarter AI. Yeah, they need a smarter AI that's plugged into the same AI. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, wild. yeah, I don't think they really have a way to police it. Uh, they can maybe police the really obvious ones that are, you know, not edited. But as long as you're, if you're editing it well and and um, you know, actually having a an article that serves a purpose, then I don't really see how they can police that. 
we're, we're doing, not to get off the topic here, but we're doing some content upcoming on AI copy. And I think, I feel like affiliates are the group of people who, who are going to grasp the real power of AI the quickest because affiliates are the ones that, you know, will be doing, will be arbitraging or will doing, you know, whatever it takes to get something done. And, and that's where AI could come in super handy at creating so much content. Yeah, I heard someone on a podcast mentioning that news out- outlets are going to start uh, some of them, some of the smaller kind of news blogs are using it already. And I think it's going to be a big part of like the news cycle. Um, cause you know, they're obviously publishing, you know, hundreds of articles a day. I think it's going to be a big, big part of that. What's your backlink strategy? Like you mentioned, uh, you know, a few key backlinks, but what, what's your best advice in the backlink world? I have two things that maybe not everyone knows about. Maybe the first one more people know about. So uh, getting like EDU or alumni network backlinks. So for example, I went to school at a university of British Columbia, you can hit up the alumni, you can find like the faculty that you graduated from. And usually they have alumni profiles, they have ways for you to get involved, you can pitch guest articles if the faculty has a blog, or there's like a business school at the school you went to. So I've, I've written guest blogs for the business school. And I didn't even go to business school. I just kind of said it. I was an alumni and hey, let, let's get in there. <laughs> I was featured, you know, kind of featured all over different faculties uh, at the university and you get a lot of good EDU backlinks that way. I would say you can do the same thing for any sort of like clubs or alumni networks you've been a part of, even if you like played sports for a, for a group growing up or something, you can usually get backlinks there. Um, everyone does the, well, most SEO people do the Haro thing, help a reporter out where you get emails from journalists who are looking for sources on a particular topic. That one's great. Um, you know, it's, it's very competitive now, difficult to, I would say sometimes it's like low ROI in terms of your time. The little spin on that that I'm using now is because it's so competitive, uh, there's so many people that are trying to be the expert source in these Haro queries. So I was thinking to myself, hey, why don't I talk to the people that are trying to be the expert source and get them to plug my products instead of me directly trying to plug them. So what does this look like? I have Google Alerts for bone broth set up, and you can do this for your industry, Google Alert for insert product. And anytime an alert comes from you know a tier one media website, I will click it. And usually in our space, the nutrition or food product space, they're quoting uh, a registered dietitian or a nutritionist, and they're just looking for a quote and maybe a product recommendation. So. I said, hey, uh, for a quarter, I'm going to reach out to every single dietitian or nutritionist that gets quoted in these articles as the expert on file. And I'm going to introduce myself and say, hey, I noticed you got quoted in this article. That's great. I'd love to tell you about what we're doing and send you some product, no strings attached. So I kind of did like influencer seeding, but for the people that monitor or uh, Harrow emails all day, and I was able to make friends with them. And before you knew it, we got featured in like a Huffington Post buyer's guide as the number one uh, item on there. So it was pretty crazy. I love that we use the term greasy. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing greasy about that. That's just uh, that's just clever. Which is, I think, what you know. That's the upside of what affiliates bring to the table, right? Is their uh, willingness to be clever and to, and to break not break the rules but bend the rules. And, and make it work. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, it, you know, it, it runs the gamut, right? You, you, like in the influencer seating, you're probably, it's going to be like a hits-driven business. You know, you might get nothing, you might get something. Um, I kind of just saw it as an experiment and a way to get the product in the hands of people that would hopefully advocate for us anyways. And I actually had no idea that we were going to get this backlink until the article went live and all of a sudden we got all this traffic and I was like, whoa, this is unbelievable. I guess it, guess it worked. 
I love these tips. Queen's University, I'm coming for you. I also play, I've played cricket in Victoria for 15 years. Not a lot of people know that about me, but I don't know if the VDCA website has enough link juice to help us out here. Maybe. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. As you start looking at the uh, like authority of some of these uh, websites, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'm uh, better, better spent elsewhere. You mentioned domain authority and just, I want to move on to COGS because I know that's going to be a big, you know, a, a huge lever for you. But you mentioned that your domain authority is lower on some of these bigger terms. What do you, what's your plan for growing your domain authority? The million dollar question. Yeah, I would say the first question is, do we need a high domain authority? And I don't think you need like as high of a, as high of a domain authority as maybe you had previously thought. And the reason I I think this is because I see it like we're on, we're the number one search result for a lot of different search terms around bone broth, despite having a much lower domain authority as some of the other large players. So I don't think you need it quite quite the way maybe you used to. In terms of getting the domain authority up in the first place, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tricky one. I would say obviously getting tier one links from you know publications um, for us, doing that kind of seeding for people who are looking at Harrow queries has, has really helped. And, and kind of just gradually getting backlinks. Like we're not, you know, we're not really paying. We're trying to do it cheap and cheerful. And, and you know, we're doing, we're doing guest articles for certain people. We are, yeah, doing, doing a bit of Haro. I would say the other interesting thing we're doing that not a lot of people have talked about is there are all of these stock photo websites that are free. So what are they? Like Pixabay, Pexels, those are the two big ones I, I think of. One backlink strategy I've seen that we are using as well is you publish some of your nice lifestyle photos on that website. And then what you do is once people start using your images, you can do like reverse uh, image searches using that image, find out where it's published maybe once a month, hit up all those people, say, hey, it's such a beautiful image. Thanks for using my image. If you wouldn't mind uh, (laughs) crediting us with a backlink, that works quite well as well uh, now that I think about it. Image seeding. (laughs) Yeah. You see influencer seeding, image seeding. Wow. Some good greasy SEO stuff. I think we have to call the podcast something about that as well. So I'm honored. Uh, I'm honored to be at the forefront of um, you know uh, retrofitting some of these old greasy tips for uh, for e-commerce. Yeah, it's so cool. Okay, let's uh, let's chat a little about uh, cost of goods. Uh, you recently made a change to your product. Can you describe that and then what that's allowed you to do? Sure. So yeah, with with Bluebird provisions, historically we've been only sold in Canada and we were a liquid product that was distributed frozen. So really not a DTC friendly product. Now, over the past, you know, three years, I obviously saw the writing on the wall and felt like we needed to to develop really like reverse engineer a product that would work well for shipping weights and, and size and all those considerations. So worked on dehydrating our liquid products into a powder shelf stable bone broth, frankly. So it took a while to figure out. We, we got it done. We have a, a product that I'm really proud of and, and really helps people and works really well. And it's light, ships easily, shelf stable. So kind of kind of ticks the boxes that you're looking for. And I would say with these products, particularly if you have a food product, we're a food product, supplements might be similar, but I would say you want to be aiming for 75% gross margins so that you can factor in, you know, customer acquisition costs, shipping, all that kind of fun stuff, and hopefully have some profits at the end of the day. So yeah, I would say using data and really kind of reverse engineering your product mix to meet these goals is is really something I've kept in mind while developing this and, and really having kind of like a checklist for when we are developing new products, which we are, um, just to make sure they're they're viable in the long run. 
I'm just looking again at SEM Rush here, and I see you know according to this, you're approximately 60% U.S., but you have a really healthy international business, which is really cool. Yeah, that, that's the tricky part, though. We don't we don't have anything to sell these people, so it's like, hey, do we start shipping internationally and see what the volume is? You know, frankly, the volume isn't going to be massive for us. With being able to get your cost of goods down so low, it seems like it seems like you should think about it at least. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I think it. I guess it just goes back to like the efficiencies and and kind of obviously we're focusing on you know Canada and the U.S. right now. But yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point with search traffic. You know, you're not quite sure where it's going to come. So yeah, I think it would be easy enough to start to start shipping internationally as well. We're talking thousands from Philippines as well as South Africa. <laughs> According to this, are your two top international markets, which is really cool. Yeah, that's a tricky one. The Philippines, I don't know. I would hope it's not like bots and stuff, but you, you never really know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. What's your stance on Amazon? I saw that you are uh, listed there as a product. Is that something you like uh, put a lot of work into? Yeah, we are doing Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, Amazon does well. We, we keep it fairly separate. Like I, I don't, I don't um, have a lot of SEO efforts specifically to our Amazon page. We don't do a lot of direct linking from our owned website to Amazon. I try to keep it relatively separate, although there is some some crossover. And now now Amazon's actually um, rewarding merchants who bring in off Amazon traffic to Amazon with a percentage of the cart. So there's interesting things there. I'm not quite sure where I stand. You know, obviously our, our SEO efforts, we're trying to, you know, prioritize our owned audiences and, you know, retaining them where we have the data. But uh, Amazon does well. You know, you know, I feel like for certain businesses, you kind of have to be there. The opportunity is large and a lot of people just prefer shopping there. So we're doing well and, and going to keep investing on it with the idea that, you know, hopefully, well, not hopefully, I would say uh, we're going to keep the percentage of revenue from Amazon low enough so that we're not, uh, you know, beholden to them if, you know, things change at some point. What's your best insight on, you know, you got all this traffic coming to the website. I guess, talk to me about your sort of email strategy, your email capture strategy through to how you're sort of bringing these these people to, to buy over the long term. Our email capture strategy is probably not all that dissimilar from, from other brands you've had on here. So we are pushing a quiz. We have the bone broth quiz. Hey, we're going to find the perfect bone broth for you. And those convert quite well. We've, we've tested that as our main pop-up on the site, but it actually doesn't convert as well as just a simple giveaway. So what's worked what best for us is, you know, pop up on the main site. Hey, you're going to be entered into a sweepstakes that will have a chance to get a month's supply of bone broth. And we do this draw once a month. So that converts better than anything else we've done. And the, the thing with search traffic is it's not going to convert as well as obviously like warm Facebook traffic or something like that for capturing emails. So we do about, uh, we do two and a half to three and a half percent of all website visitors are converted uh, into an email subscriber. Um, you hear some people saying it should be five or ten percent. I would I would guess that those people certainly don't have a lot of cold SEO traffic. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We're, so we're capturing them, and uh, yeah, then obviously we're getting them into all of our kind of kind of you know funnels, the buy or die sequence, all the retention stuff, and, and SMS as well. Nice. We've got it covered here. Is there anything else? On the SEO side, because I feel like I'm very excited for this write-up because I think we're going to be able to put together some really high-quality knowledge bombs, as we like to call them. Is there anything else on the SEO side that you had queued up that we didn't get to? Yeah, I don't think so. I would say some of the AI tools are interesting. We're, we're experimenting with those a little bit because, frankly, it's hard to find good writers. And if you can use some AI and maybe train a team member to use the AI, they don't have to be a strong writer and they can get it done. So those are, those are really interesting, and it's something we're doing more of at the moment. 
Very cool. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one. My, I have a friend who uh, who runs a, a AI copy company, and I think yeah, the potential there is just unbelievable. I, I, this is a side topic, but I've, I recently I've seen all this stuff about Dali. Have you seen this stuff about the visual engine that 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 is that AI is doing now, where you can just basically no, I like, haven't. Oh, you got to look it up. D A L L dash E E. If you're listening, check it out. It's it's probably the most it's the craziest thing you've ever seen from AI. It's like it's like the promise of what AI said it was going to be able to do is 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 happening. It's basically like a you can just speak text strings to it and it will scan a, a million images, 10 million images and create like Donald Duck on roller skates, you know, in Batman's world or something. Right. And it would just do it like, and, and so artists at this point are actual, their art who use this, their art is like proprietary text freight strings. Wow. Right. Like they're not drawing anymore. They're literally just creating these large text docs and they're like, and then up in the corner, it has this. And then down in the bottom, it has this. And it's just absolutely wild to see it. Oh my gosh. That's unbelievable. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Let's, oh, the last question we always got to ask if we were to, I I think I know where it might go, but if we were to give you $50,000 for your marketing, any, any, any part of your growth that you'd have to use in the next month or two, where would you put it? Yeah, I would uh, invest in a lot of TikTok creators. So I would say, hey, you know, let's get five, 10, 15 creators, have them make the, you know, ship them product, give them uh, free reign to do whatever they want and produce content around nutrition, recipes, bone broth, anything like that to evangelize the product. So if there are any creators uh, looking for work, get get in touch with me and uh, I'd love to chat. That's cool. How do you suggest they do that? Yeah, e- email's good. Connor at bluebirdprovisions.co. Our website, yeah, bluebirdprovisions.co. And uh, I'm easy to find from there as well. I'll have an intro I'll make to you after this, if someone I think who might be able to help you. And uh, anyone else listening there. Also, if you just want to like get on the bone broth train, um, you should go to bluebirdprovisions.co because I just feel the power of collagen and all sorts of other wonderful minerals coursing through me on a daily basis. And the last thing I just wanted to say is I think this podcast will actually be out after our first ever event, but I'm very excited this week, Thursday the 12th, actually we're going to be doing our very first live event in Vancouver. Uh, we've got 150 of Vancouver's like biggest brands, uh, fastest growing brands, all the big ones, all the small ones are all there. Um, and it's going to be a really special thing to get everyone together. And you're, you're going to be coming because you're in Vancouver. I am. Yeah, I, uh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm stoked to uh, actually be at an event uh, for once these days and I uh, can't, uh, can't wait to see what's in store. Yeah. So we, you know, if you, ha- if there's anyone else out there that wants a meetup in your town, send me an email at eric at directtoconsumer.co and tell me where we have to do our next meetup because uh, I think this is going to be too fun not to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Awesome. Thanks, Connor. This is great. Thanks, Eric. Had a pleasure. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.